0: with you this morning, and I certainly want to encourage you through the summer. Um, I enjoy being with church planters and church plants because I planted a church almost 20 years ago, and so I know all the feelings of church planting, and I also know the benefits of, um, you know, in over three decades of ministry there's no relationships I have like the relationships with the people I set up chairs with and set up screens with and then put the chairs down and then put the screens down and then put the chairs up the next week. I mean, that, that routine and that bonding is something that is unique. And so I'm always encouraged to be uh, with church plants, particularly uh, Imprint, because a year and a half ago um, I was able to be here on the first Sunday, Uh, When uh, you worshiped and gathered together, Uh, I was on my way to one of our conferences and uh, came and worshiped here. So praise the Lord for the opportunity to be here as we continue walking through John's um, gospel. Uh, I want to invite you to the 18th chapter and uh, certainly thank your pastor for this invitation. John 18 is part of my gospel. Uh, I think because as I have witnessing type conversations or even just discipleship type conversations, John presents the exclusive glory of Jesus Christ in a way that differs a little from the other three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Also, John is very helpful with a clear purpose statement in the 20th chapter he says Jesus did many things I didn't write everything that Jesus did but these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you might have life through his name and so we can read the whole gospel under that purpose statement of John and understand John is telling us this about Jesus. John is sharing this teaching about Jesus. John is exposing this nature of Jesus because he wants us to believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing in him, we might have life. So certainly new believers would cry out to Christ for salvation. And even we who do believe and do follow Christ and have been following Christ will be reminded of his unique and exclusive personhood. And so John's gospel has always been a wonderful place for me to land in conversations with people who I'm sharing the gospel with and even in conversations trying to encourage believers. As we look here in the 18th chapter, Jesus is going to be betrayed and arrested. um, And he's going to say to Peter that he must drink the cup that his father has given him. In John's gospel, in all of the gospels, in all of scripture, the Messiah, the Lamb of God is often pictured as the suffering servant to redeem God's people. Think about this language in Isaiah that predates and prophesies about the coming of the Christ he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Think about Jesus on the cross, quoting from Psalms 22, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In all of scripture, the Messiah, the deliverer, is one who is pictured as suffering and agonizing for the redemption of God's people. And here, at this point in the gospel, in this point of the passion of Christ in the last week, we see Jesus being betrayed by Judas in the garden. And we're going to see Jesus yield to the will of his father, even as that will is quite difficult and challenging. Or in the language of the passage of scripture in the King James or in most translations, we're gonna see him drink the cup. Drink the cup. I see some of the children here. Do y'all remember um sometimes when you were a child and you needed to take certain medicine and uh you didn't really want to take that medicine and your grandmother or father or someone would say, Oh yeah, but this will make you this will make you feel better. And, you know, at some point they convince you or they force you <laughs> and you what? You, you, you drink that cup. You, you don't want to drink the cup, but you do drink the cup because there's healing in that cup. Now, as a child, you don't understand that there's healing in that cup, but there's healing in that cup. We're going to see here where one of his disciples, one of his leading disciples some would say his big mouth disciples some would say his head honcho disciple doesn't quite understand the healing that is in the cup that jesus must drink so let me read this passage for you and uh i'm going to read it from the uh, christian standard bible after jesus said these things he went out with his disciples across the kidron valley where there's a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went out and said to them, "'Who is it that you are seeking?' Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. When Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who is it that you are seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. I told you, I am he, Jesus replied. So if you're looking for me, let these men go. That was to be, that was fulfilled the words that he had said, I have lost not one of those that you have given me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. At that, Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? this scene of betrayal comes right after jesus has prayed in john chapter 17. john 18 opens after jesus had said these things referring to his prayer in john chapter 17. and many people understand that jesus in john 17 he prays for the unity of his disciples he prays for those who will believe the gospel based upon the testimony of his disciples he prays for all these things but remember at the beginning of chapter 17 at the beginning of this particular prayer jesus prays that the will of the father would be done let me just remind you of those words then jesus spoke these words and lifted up his eyes to heaven father the hour has come glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee at the opening of the prayer in John chapter 17, Jesus prays that the Father would glorify him self by Jesus doing the will of the Father, which is his death and crucifixion on the cross. And the Bible says that at that time, after he had prayed this particular prayer, then that begins to unfold. That begins to happen. And part of that happening is him being portrayed and arrested so the Bible says, after this time, after he had said these things, he went over with his disciples and crossed into the Kidron Valley at the opening of of chapter 18. And there was a garden there, and his disciples went there. And Judas, who, who betrayed him, also knew the place because Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas took a company of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees and came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Then Jesus knowing everything that was about to happen to him, went and said to them, Who is it that you are seeking? When we get down later in the the chapter, Peter is resistant to the things that are happening. But the Bible says here, as we begin to read in the fourth verse, Jesus knew everything that was happening. Not only did Jesus know everything that was happening, as, we will un- as the chapter will unfold, as the rest of the gospel will unfold, we will see that Jesus is submissive to the things that are happening. Remember, Jesus is the one who says, I have not come to do my will, but the will of my Father who sent me. And remember, even as Jesus prays and realizes the agony of crucifixion and, du- and dying for the sins of God's people, he says, Father, if it's possible, Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so when the Bible says in the fourth verse that Jesus knew everything that was about to happen to him, not only did he know it, but he was obediently submissive to it. He will drink the cup. He will drink the cup. Now, let me give you a contrast Peter, likewise, should have known what was happening. Because your pastor has been preaching through the Gospel of John. So, you know, in John's Gospel, there have already been several occasions where Jesus said, Hey, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be taken by the high priest. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise on the third day. And then after that first time, you remember John's gospel said, and Jesus told them this again. And Jesus told them this again. So it's not as if Peter and the other disciples should have been caught unawares. But there's a difference, wouldn't you say, between just kind of like with your ears, hearing something that the Lord says, and with your heart Embracing and submitting and receiving something that the Lord says. And so the Bible says, Jesus, knowing that all things had now come to pass, is obediently doing what the Father has ordained for him to do. The Bible will demonstrate for us that Peter is still struggling with the bitter cup that Christ must drink to redeem God's people. And this is not the first time. There have been times in the Gospels where Jesus has said, I must be crucified, I must be betrayed and crucified. And and Peter has said, no, 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 Lord, I'll never let that happen. And it's such a contradiction to the will of God that not, not, not Peter, the person, but that impulse. That Jesus even had to rebuke Peter one time, get behind me, Satan, for you are not thinking about the things of God, but you are thinking about the things of man. As we look at Jesus being arrested, as we look at Jesus being betrayed, we are seeing the Son of God submit to the will of the Father in a stunning and a glorious way. I mean, don't forget, the one that's being arrested is the one who John said, all things were made by him and it was not anything made that was made without him. The one who's being arrested is the one who's able to raise people from the dead. The one who's being arrested is the one who's able to tell the winds and the waves, peace be still. The one who's being arrested doesn't have to be arrested, but he's allowing himself to be arrested in submission and obedience to the will of the Father. You know, there's things about glorifying the Lord that are challenging and hard. And I don't know the kind of people that you interact with. I don't know your personal stories. But I do know sometimes because Americanized Christianity has been tainted by things like the prosperity gospel or things like if God is for me, everything is good and comfortable and light. Sometimes we hesitate and sometimes we struggle to obey the will of God because we think if it's difficult, it can't be God's will. Jesus is getting ready to drink a bitter cup. In Old Testament language, Jesus is getting ready to drink the cup of God's wrath. In the language of the revelation at the end of the New Testament, Jesus is getting ready to drink the cup of God's wrath. And he says to Peter, who's resisting and struggling with the will of God, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? He's not going to say it's a sweet cup. He's not going to say it's a nice cup. He's not going to say it's an enjoyable cup. He's going to say it is the cup my father has given me. I don't know if sometimes you hear people talk about the sovereignty of God. And uh, sometimes I find myself challenging brothers and sisters. Uh, It's easy to talk about the sovereignty of God when everything is going the way you want it to go. (laughs) It's easy to talk about the sovereignty of God when you discern that the will of God is something you wanted to do already anyway. But the sovereignty of God is a little, something, is a little different when you are selfish by nature and you hear the scriptures and the will of God saying, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Or oh, wives submit unto your husband as unto the Lord, or husband and wife submit to one another, or parents raise your children in the fear of the Lord. When you, when, you, when you hear the scripture pressing against things in you or things that are hard, or things that are inconvenient, or things you might not want to do, then it's a different thing to talk about the sovereignty of God. The Bible says, Jesus knew. Everything that was about to happen to him. So he went out and he says to them, who is it you're seeking? In the fourth verse, Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. I am he, Jesus told them. And Judas, who betrayed, he was also there. And Jesus told him, I'm he again. And Jesus, when, they, when he said that, they stepped back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, who are you seeking? Remember now, Jesus is, uh, John, excuse me, John does not want us just to believe and some religious leader, some spiritual leader, John wants to make, uh, make sure we understand this is about who Jesus is and what he came to do. Remember the purpose of the gospel. He said, I don't want you, he's not saying, oh, I want you to be better people and I want you to love God and have some generic understanding of God. No, he says, I want you to know that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. And believing in him, you might have life. And so twice here in chapter 18, he makes a big issue about the person of Jesus Christ. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Matter of fact, there's so much about Jesus. He says, you know, you can let these other people go because the cosmic that is happening right now doesn't involve their actions it involves the actions of the lamb of god jesus of nazareth the christ the messiah so who are you looking for i'm he and you can read a whole lot of things by a whole lot of new testament scholars about the power of his presence and the power of his word and how it made the soldiers fall down and those that that that, that's wonderful but in the context of john's gospel and john's purposes the big deal is the fact that they are seeking him him specifically jesus of nazareth the one who john has already described as The word becoming flesh and being full of grace and truth, the only begotten of the father. The Bible says in the ninth verse, then to fulfill those words, he said, he, he asked him, he asked him to let those other ones go. And this was to fulfill the words that he had spoken in his prayer earlier. Father, the ones that you have given unto me, I have lost none of them. Who is this man that they are seeking? The son of the living God. Who is this man that they're seeking? The ones whose teaching, the one whose teachings have upset the religious superstructure. Who is this one that they are seeking? The one who has come preaching repentance. Who is this one that they are seeking? The one who has come preaching the kingdom of God. Not the religious structure of the Pharisees or the high priests, but the kingdom of God. The one who has come preaching faith to God in a genuine way. The one who has come exposing hypocrisy. The one who has come exposing false religion. The one who has come and sometimes even exposed that the religious leaders are Dirty cups that have just been washed on the outside. This one is the one they are seeking. But also this one is the one who the father has sent. This one is the one who is the only savior of the world. This one is the one that John would say behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This one is the one that Mary that the angels told Mary and Joseph his name shall be Jesus and he shall save his people from their sins. This is the one they are seeking. I mean just look what happens in a literary sense. You have this mob You have this crowd, you have the betrayer, you have Peter. But Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. Well, dismiss these other people, because what's really happening is about me. It's about what I'm doing to fulfill the will of the Father. Just look at that, how you have all these people at the opening of the chapter, but as we get into the chapter... These these people are becoming side stage and backstage. And the showdown comes down to Jesus, the Son of God, preparing to drink the bitter cup. And when the scene is at its highest, John wants you to see this picture with a corrected, rebuked Peter off to the side, safe, secure disciples off to the side, Everyone else off to the side and no one there but the Son of God and the Father and the Son saying, I must drink the cup that my Father has given me. One of the hurtful things, I think, in Americanized Christianity is we have too little devotion and meditation upon the person and the work of Christ. We are supposed to be Christians, small Christ, and we don't spend a lot of time meditating upon Christ. There's Gospels that encourage us to use God as a means to an end. There are Gospels that encourage us to use God's systems and disjoint god from that as a means to an end they're, they're, they're all kind of false gospels that don't center the person and the work of jesus christ all throughout history all throughout time every language every culture the followers of jesus christ have had a common testimony jesus is lord And if that's our common testimony, then all throughout history, all throughout time, all throughout different languages and cultures, that means Jesus should be the center of the Christ followers meditation. And the Bible says. And sometimes. God's people can get off track. Sometimes our convenience, our comfort, our our willingness to avoid pain can overshadow the will of God, the Word of God. My daughter's getting married in a month, less than a month now, September 1st. And I've just been meditating upon... In sickness and in health and good times and in po- bad times, for richer, for poor, till death do us part. Because I've been a pastor and um, I've seen people think marriage is, I don't know what they think it is, Disneyland or whatever. And so when something gets hard, like prostate cancer or breast cancer or Alzheimer's or something that requires self-sacrifice and a really commitment to those in good time and bad time type vows sometimes you see Christians like oh I mean I'm sure God wants me to be happy and I'm not happy right now oh the will of God is not always about being happy this is hard can can, can God want this for me the will of God is not always about something not being hard At this vital moment, at this brutal moment, I mean, brutal, like getting ready to lead to mocking, scorning, scourging and crucifixion. Jesus says, I mean, how can I not drink the cup that my father has given me? This is why I came. Sometimes I worry about Christians saying how can we not drink the cup that the lord has given us this is why we're here acts 1 8 says we ought to be his witnesses in jerusalem judea samaria and the uttermost parts of the world do y'all ever meet christians that agonize about being in an ungodly world i mean that's why we're here to be light and salt witnesses in an ungodly world if salvation was just about heaven, a person would come down the aisle and say, I truly trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. I submit to him and they go to heaven. They'd be caught up in a whirlwind. But salvation is not just about they go to heaven. Salvation is about being his witnesses and Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Salvation is about being the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And sometimes that's hard, especially in a postmodern, secular, Western, autonomous, individualism, self-contained, narcissistic type culture idols of sex and money and power it can be challenging to live in that first peter scenario where you are a stranger and a foreigner traveling through a barren land but how can we not drink the cup that our father has given us christians in china drink the cup christians in egypt drink the cup But we have this Christian American narrative that makes us think it's supposed to be easy to be a Christian in America. Because we're in a Christian country. Bologna. (laughs) Jesus says, how can I not drink the cup that my father has given me? And why should you and I (laughs) be happy? Why should you and I rejoice over this agonizing scene? I mean, there's tension in this scene. I mean, a disciple that loves the Lord is fighting back against the powers that are trying to arrest the Lord. A disciple that loves the Lord is is pushing back the Lord is submitting to the will of his father after he has prayed that that, that that there's tension in this in this scene and Jesus really will drink a bitter cup. I mean after this when your pastor gets into chapter 19, it's agonizing. Crown of thorns, hairs pulled from your beard. Smote on your face. Hit, bruised, mocked, scorned. One of the most brutal forms of death known in the ancient world, crucifixion. It truly is a bitter cup. So, why in the world would you and I see that as good news? i tell you why. For if the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, did not drink that cup, you and I would have to drink that cup. That cup is the cup of the wrath of God. That cup is the cup of the wages of sin is death. That cup is the cup that is deserved by all because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet in the mercy and the grace and the goodness of god he sends his son to drink the cup for his people and that is the good news of the gospel whether one lives in prosperous america or drought ridden country in another part of the world that's the good news of the gospel whether one is of Whatever ethnicity, language, tribe, or culture, that's the good news of the gospel. Whether one lives in the projects or lives in a mansion, that's the good news of the gospel. We had a debt that we could not pay, and Christ paid a debt that he did not, owe, or in the language of 2 Corinthians 5, he that was without sin became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him and becoming sin for us means Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. There's no way to understand the love of God without understanding the sin and the debt that we owe God there's no way to understand the love of God without understanding the holiness of God and seeing his wrath poured out upon his son Simon Peter drew his sword and struck the high priest and cut off his ear and Jesus says put it away the battle that must be fought ultimately to satisfy God is not a battle that is fought with swords it was a battle that was fought by the Son of God, drinking the bitter cup of God's wrath. Shall I not? Am I not to drink the cup the Father has given me? You should feel blessed. That Jesus drank the cup for us. I don't know your particular story, but I know many people have areas of your story where people have made you feel less than this, or people have described you as this. I, I, t- I tell you, want something? Every believer can know. Jesus Christ drank the cup of god's wrath for me so that says something about god's love for me you might call me a whatever 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 you might call me a whatever 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 but as we sang we stand amazed at knowing god's love for us because jesus drank the bitter cup that we deserve. The Bible says that he will go to the cross and he will suffer and he will die and he will agonize and he will be buried and he will be raised on the third day as a testimony that the sacrifice had been accepted. But what John wants us to embrace and submit to and believe right here at the beginning of the 18th chapter is that the Son of God obeyed the will of the father which means that salvation was provided for god's people remember his purpose that you might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and believing in him you might have life that life is available that life is provided because jesus drank the cup so I'm not your pastor. I don't know the stinky parts of your life. But are there things in your life where maybe you're resisting what God has given you to do? I mean they're not they're not always easy. If anything, the Bible can help the modern American Christian with right now. is just a simple fact that obeying the will of God is not always easy. It's a sweet testimony to the Lord to love your children. That's not always easy, especially if you have a child that has special needs. It's a testimony to the will of God to honor the vows of your marriage. That's not always easy. Marriage can be an interesting type ride sometimes. Every wife ain't sweet and every husband ain't noble. Sometimes marriage is a journey. And am I going to be obedient to the will of God in this situation? Sometimes congregational life Is a challenge. I remember we planted a church. I was like, Yeah, this is my core group. These people love the Lord. Ain't no nuts in here. And if there's no nuts in the core group, you keep reaching out to anybody and everybody. Ah, yeah, 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 you'll get some. And congregational life is a challenge. But am I going to be obedient to the will of the Father that we would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, but provoke one another in good works? Am I going to be obedient to the will of the Father that we would bear one another's burdens? Am I going to obey all those one another's in the Bible? Persevere with one another, endure with one another, forbear with one another, which means put up with one another, let, prefer one another over you. Am, am I going to obey all those one another's of the Bible? That's hard. But if the ultimate model of the sacrifice of Christ shows us that the hard stuff can bring great glory to God, like drinking the cup of God's wrath for the salvation of God's people, then we ought to be able to look at Jesus Christ, our Lord, our example and model, and we ought to be able to obey God's will in the lesser things. Yeah, they're hard, but they're much less than the crucifixion of Christ and dying on the cross for the sins of God's people. Yeah, they're hard, but they're hard things that imperfect Christians are called to do. This is the perfect, spotless, without blemish, Son of God taking upon himself the sins of the world. You know, sometimes when stuff gets hard, Christians say, I, I don't think I deserve that. He didn't deserve that. I don't think that's fair. That wasn't fair. Fair ain't a biblical standard. It's some mess we made up in America. And fair is so subjective. Yeah, throw fair. When you think about obedience to God, throw fair out the window. Fair might be for the Supreme Court, or fair might be for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or something, but it's not for the saint in obeying the will of God. It's just simply what does God say, and what am I called to do? So I always have two examples. I always have two examples. And I really love this guy, so I hate to use him always as the bad example, but he's just so helpful because he has a big mouth. When my flesh and the will of God are in tension, I usually have the choice of being like Peter or being like Jesus. And so it's always helpful to ask yourself, Am I called a Christian, or am I called a (laughs) Peterian? I think we're called Christians. In the book of Acts, it says in Antioch, they were called Christians because they were followers of the way of Christ. And I know many times when people think about Christianity in America, they think about some guy smiling and they think about, ah, this is the house and this is this and this is what it means to be a Christian. Nothing is more Christian than taking up your cross and following Jesus day by day. And taking up your cross does not point to health, wealth, and prosperity, Taking up your cross points to, shall I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? And Jesus said, if anybody's going to come after me, they must take up their cross daily, deny themselves, and follow me. As you see his arrest, You don't see the assertion of self. You see the assertion of the will of the Father. When you and I get squeezed and everybody gets squeezed, what comes out of us? The assertion of self or the will of the Father? That's the question for every Christian on a regular basis. Let me pray for you.